0: we are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC podcast. This week we feature Dr. Jim Daly.
1: And what I'm concerned about, what I'm afraid about, is that the leading domino in becoming more like Christ, unfortunately for those of us that love comfort, it's persecution. Now, I'm not saying we jump into it, we don't defend ourselves, but there's something, it's a purification process in that regard.
0: In August, the ERLC hosted their annual national conference at the Music City Center in Nashville, Tennessee. The conference focused on how the gospel relates to politics and helped equip Christians on how to engage our political culture with a gospel mindset. Let's listen in as Dr. Jim Daly discusses speaking with grace and truth in the public square.
1: Hey, I've got about 15 minutes and I'm going to try to pack in. uh, (laughs) They asked me to speak about speaking with grace and truth. And how belief and tone shapes the public square. Um, You know, coming from focus on the family and, and, you know, Dr. Dobson, of course, being very involved in the political arena. um, That was all good. When I look at the culture warriors that uh, even Dr. Moore was referring to, you know, whether it was uh, Dr. Falwell, Dr. Dobson, D.J. Kennedy, all born in the 30s. And I find it very reasonable that they responded in such a way that they saw so much decline in the culture when it came to spiritual values that they were alarmed. What do we do? So I think they did what I would have done if I were born in that era. I came along 30 years later, born in the 60s. And uh, I would say one of the big distinctions is I feel like we're in a land where we need evangelism, big time. And... Uh, and I think that's one of the issues. The prophet and the evangelist sometimes don't agree on how to get things done. And I think right now the the spirit in which we're in is uh, the era where we can reach the lost. And, you know, here's the bottom line when I look at the public square. It's about him. It's not about us. And one of the big problems that we have as Christian leadership and as pastors, which many of you are, um, it's how to get ourselves out of the picture let me give you an example. Uh, this wasn't that many years ago, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I, I feel like I'm a righteous driver. Anybody a righteous driver? You know, you do it well. You do about the speed limit. You move over when there's faster cars that want to go by. In Colorado, we have some bad habit. The slowest cars drive in the fast lane. I don't know why we do that, but... But it's a trigger for me, and I, 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 it's a bad area of my life. And so this was probably 10 years ago. But I was in a parking lot, and I was backing up. And this guy, young guy, was doing about 30 or 40 through this parking lot, and he honks at me trying to back up next to a van. I couldn't see the guy. And this guy, boom, zooms by me, lays on the horn, and then gives me a hand gesture that I hadn't seen in a while as a Christian. And so what do I do? The righteous driver, I'm going to sort this unrighteous guy out. So I chased him. And a couple blocks down the road, he pulls over. It happened to be a Sunday. I was going to the store for my wife. I had a jacket on. And uh, he jumps out of his car, comes running at me. And thankfully, I played football, so I'm getting out of my car. He's about half my size. He stops about, half, about 10 feet from me, and he just looks at me and goes, Oh, go back to church, because I had my jacket on. And I said, well, just drive better. And the point of this story, I get back to the car. I sit down. I just felt the Holy Spirit in my heart say, how'd that go for you? And it's become kind of a metaphor in the culture. We tend to want to jump out of the car, chase the guy down, straighten out the unrighteous person. And it doesn't go the way we think it should go. And, uh, you know, I think I think we've got to think about the Scripture. One of the things that I'm constantly doing is trying to say, and I don't mean this to be condescending at all. I've talked on this topic many times, and one time I got an email from somebody in the audience saying, that's the most condescending speech I'd ever heard. So I don't, don't hear it as condescending. What I'm trying to do is apply the Scripture to what I do in my life and then communicate that. If it's helpful to you, great. If you're already living it well, hey, you're head start. Way to go. But one of the things I'm concerned about is we try to live out of the Old Testament. Jesus came and said, you know what, I got to correct that. Now, I'm not saying correct the doctrine. He said everything there is good, but it's the way we human beings applied it, right? The Pharisees. We didn't apply it well back then, the law. And Jesus came and sorted them out pretty straightforwardly. But um, I think that's one of the big things. You know, from our heart, the word says from our heart we speak. What's in us, and what I'm most concerned about right now, what Dr. Moore even talked about, is when we sit at the table, how are we behaving? If he talked about whose table is it, I'm here to talk for a few minutes about how do we behave at the table, because sometimes we don't behave very well. Let me let me look at uh, John 15:18 through 20. John 15. I've got it up there now. I grab the the Living Translation, which I know I do ESV just to clarify for all of you Purists. But I like the common language, and I use that. But in John 15, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'd also keep yours. I think Jesus is trying to say, don't be surprised. You know, I love that scripture says, uh, you know, um, you're going to be hated because of me, but be of good cheer, be happy, be joyful, because I've overcome the world. It's almost like we forget that. Here's the point. I think we want the benefits of the kingdom, but we're not willing to do the work. And what's the work you know in part, obviously, the work is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. that's obvious, but the other work is self evident it's called the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? the fruit of the spirit let me let me get my iPhone on here, see if I can do this quickly, but when you're in Galatians, and all of you know this I'm you know just catch me afterward and say you know you didn't tell me anything new sometimes. You just got to hear it again, though. When you look at Galatians 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And we know the big ones, don't we? We may even have friends in the pastorate that have fallen to some of these, or we may be tempted in those ways. But the fruit of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now here's where it gets a little tougher enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned uh, you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit. Now this is it. We're always saying, God, how can I live like you and for you and sit at that table in DC or sit with those other people, the abortionists, the gay activists, which I've done. When you sit at that table, I think it's love, joy, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And it's so funny, I think we forget that simple teaching of the fruit of the Spirit. I had one Christian leader say to me, you know, I don't have much of that one or much of that one. I got a little bit of this one. I'm thinking, it's not a menu you order from. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And it should be evident in our lives. Luke six twenty two twenty three. 23. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the son of man. When that happens, be happy. Again, the new uh, language. And it goes on. Yes, leap for joy for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. I don't know why we're so shocked when people are upset with what we share. I love what Dr. Moore says. We believe strange things. We do. And when we try to exert those beliefs in the public square, some people don't like it. But the Lord's saying, don't smack them down. Don't hurt them. Don't wound them. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Keep going in Matthew 45, 44 and 45, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do we practice that? That's what I'm mostly worried about. These are tough scriptures. This is the hard work of being of the kingdom of God. It's easy to fight. It comes out of the flesh. You know, when you look at it here in the U.S., we have been protected in some ways from having to love our enemies. Haven't we? Because we've got, you know, such deep traditions of religious liberty. This nation was formed and birthed out of that desire to give people freedom, especially in the area of religious liberty. And so when we see this being curtailed, we're going to react. And we need to be involved. I agree with what Jennifer earlier was saying. We as Christians have a place at the table. We can speak in the public square in this democracy, and we need to. But when we do so, we can't give up the character of Christ in doing it. How do you love your enemy in that way? Those that disagree with you. I had one person, a gay activist, say, are we really your enemy? I said, that's a biblical context for disagreeing and not believing what we believe. And yes, spiritually, it's true. So when you look at it, I'm just saying we have to behave appropriately and in the, the, consistently with the character of Christ. Let me uh, jump to 1 Peter 4. Put this in today's context. I mean, think about it. 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> I mean, we're right in this. We shouldn't be looking at the circumstances we're in right now in this country and saying, wow, where'd this come from? Why is it happening? He's saying, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let no one of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. That's interesting. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And what I'm concerned about, what I'm afraid about, is that the leading domino in becoming more like Christ, unfortunately, for those of us that love comfort, it's persecution. Now, I'm not saying we jump into it, we don't defend ourselves, but there's something, it's a, it's a purification process in that regard. Let me Let me end with this story. When the 21 martyrs were killed in Libya, y'all remember that in the news, ISIS took their heads off. I don't know what your response was. I didn't serve in the military, but I was angry, angry. I thought justice needs to be done to these people. Now we have an office in Cairo, Egypt, and uh, I heard the inside story how those men had died. We, through our office there, Sami Akub, he had been ministering to those families even before that had happened, working with the Coptic Church. And uh, he said, when they were killed, they were singing hymns and praises to God. I drove home that night when I heard about it in the news, and I felt the Lord say, "Finish the mission of what those young, twenty-something men went to do, which was to send money home." 20 of those homes in Cairo so that those families could build a house. And it's really a shelter. It's not a house like we know a house. It's four brick walls and a tin roof. Many of them lived at the dumps in Cairo. So I went home thinking, yes, let's finish it. I called four donors, and they said, we'll do it. It felt holy, like we're doing something very good, and we are. And that construction's underway, and we're going to finish that. A few weeks later, Sammy called me and said, you know, these families are weeping. And I said, of course they're weeping, Sammy. They lost their sons or husbands, their young men. And he said, no, no, Jim, they're not weeping because they lost their sons or their brothers or their husbands. They're weeping because they're counting it a joy that God would allow them and their family member to suffer for Christ. Okay, as a Western thinker, I'm on the phone going, Lord, forgive me for that anger I had, for that desire for retaliation, thinking this life is so temporal, This or that this life is it. It's not so temporal. And sometimes we live as Christians like, this is it. And I was taught a lesson by those uneducated, Christian believers, our brothers and sisters at the dumps in Cairo, teaching me and hopefully all of us what it means to follow Christ. It's not about revenge or anger or all the other ugly fruits of the spirit I just read. Love, joy, peace. The good fruit is what you're seeing there and a great understanding of what it means to walk with Christ. How do we apply that maturity, that kind of meat in our faith and our walk? So we're not just following our passions, our flesh, when it comes to the public square. Yes, we have to be there. But I'm telling you, don't give up the character of Christ while you do it. And you know what will happen? I've seen it in the meetings I've had. The unbelievers see something in you that's sincere and real. When it says love your neighbor, I think God knows the DNA he's created in us spiritually. When you love somebody who doesn't like what you stand for, and they feel it and know you're honest about it, Their heart can't help but crack open. And that's all the Holy Spirit needs to start that journey. And then you become friends. And then you talk more about spiritual things. That's what we need to be doing as the body of Christ, in addition to speaking truth. God bless you guys.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the ERLC Podcast. We'd like to thank Dr. Jim Daly for being a part of our 2015 National Conference. And if you'd like more resources to help equip you in your efforts to engage the culture and politics, please visit ERLC.com.